Welcome to the Take Flight podcast with Daniel Johnson, Olu Okanola, Pabilo Timbo and Shurl Ahmed as your hosts. Take Flight is released weekly, giving you behind the scenes business views into multiple industries, as well as highlighting the backstories of entrepreneurs and leaders in their respective spaces. We'll also be breaking down business models, examining the latest trends in business and sharing our learnings along the way like a university business class packaged for a diverse and inclusive audience. We blend this together for a unique and exciting look into the world of business. Join us, your hosts, who are coming from underrepresented backgrounds in the UK, have since worked and traveled to over 100 countries, learned our craft in some of the largest companies in the globe, started our own businesses, as well as invested across multiple asset classes, as we give a unique and inclusive perspective with a mission to help other potential flyers get ready to take flight. Since its start in 2019, Take Flight Podcast has grown to have listeners in over 50 countries and is in the top 5% of podcasts globally and continuing to grow and expand. Come join a growing community and let's help more potential flyers take flight. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Take Flight Podcast. This is episode 115 and it's part of our solo takeaway episodes. This week's episode will be hosted by myself, Olu Okanola. In this week's episode, I want to go through a book review on the psychology of money by Morgan Housel. This was a book that I just finished. I listened to an audible. Now, this is not an ad, um, but I really like audible because you're able to digest a book whilst working out, running, or even in your commute in your car. Now, the reason why I picked up this book, and it's a really short book, around five minutes, um, so not too long to digest. But the reason why I picked up this book is because I wanted to understand why people do certain things when it comes to money and investing. Now, depending on who you talk to, people have a different attitude towards money. For example, if I take my mom, um, she's retired now. She's financially free, but most of her investments were around property and sort of low interest accounts, right? Now, I really wanted to understand what were the behaviors when it came to investing for her, uh, because a lot of people think that investment is just around intelligence, but a lot of times it's got to do with your behavior and the actions um, and controlling your emotions. So this book starts with a story um, of Ronald Reed. Who's Ronald Reed? Now, he was a janitor who died in 2014. And what was special about him at that time was he died with a net worth of 8 million. So the first thing I did was I went to Google to see what's the salary of a janitor, what's the average salary? Because I said, if he died with an 8 million net worth, maybe I'm in the wrong career, right? Maybe there's some sort of high paying janitor roles. But the average um, sort of salary for a janitor in the UK is around 20K. So this breaks the myth that to have a large amount of net worth, you have to earn a crazy amount of income. He didn't win the lottery. He didn't inherit this. It was just by investing and the beauty of compounding. I'm going to go through five top takeaways from the psychology of money and try to make it real by giving examples that relate to my life. The first takeaway is don't underestimate the importance of luck. Now, 
I've looked into and read about luck in other books, such as Malcolm Gladwell, The Outlier. But in this book, it talks about a formula for success where it's skill multiplied by luck. So it goes into an example around Bill Gates. Now, Bill Gates is hardworking, very extremely intelligent, but he was lucky to attend one of the only schools that had a computer at that time, which allowed him to get a lot of coding experience to create Microsoft. Now, this just makes you think that we shouldn't really idolize certain people for their success, right? Because there's an element of luck that we can't replicate. So we always have to leave room for that luck and only control what you can, which is the hard work in the investing. Like if I think about myself and my life, right? Uh, I was lucky that I relocated from Nigeria to the UK at a young age. I couldn't control that. Um, my mom, and my parents made that decision to relocate, sent me to certain schools, um, which meant that I was able to get a graduate job and form some level of success, right? So no matter how intelligent I might think I am, there's an element of luck which I can't control. If we look at this in terms of investments, now I invested in a company that I worked at for a number of years. The returns weren't, weren't great, pretty much stayed flat over that period of time. If I look back and say, hey, I started at that company in 2019 to 2016, I would have earned 200% return there. Again, I can't control the returns in, in some cases, right? So there's an element of luck that exists. Another element that a book sort of goes into is leaving room for error. Now, a lot of times we have forecasts on what returns we expect. You say, hey, I'm going to invest in the stock market and I expect a 10% return. But the book says you need to leave room for error. Be prepared if that forecast is incorrect. So if you're expecting 10%, but it's actually five, zero, or even negative, how do you manage your emotions during that particular time? So many people sell at bottoms when a stock has reduced or gone down and lose so much money. So it's how do you manage your emotions in that time? The next takeaway, takeaway number two, is around when is enough, right? So this looks around at... <clears throat> so the second takeaway is when is enough. This looks at the negativity around social comparison with others. Now, the urge to sort of surpass your neighbours, your peers and your friends. Let me give you an example. Let's assume you're earning 700K. So you're in the top 1%. But your neighbor um, is a CEO and he earns 5 million a year. Naturally, as you build that friendship with your neighbor, there's an element of content. You start to see him going on, getting better cars, bigger cars, or extending his house. There's a certain element of envy there, right? Now, imagine if that neighbor went to school with Richard Branson, who his net worth is $4 billion. Again, that will start to create some sort of envy. We went to the same school. We have similar background. Why does he have $4 million? So the book really challenges you to say, when is enough? Because if you don't know when enough is enough, people naturally or people start to do 
um, crime to gain more money or to gain more. So what I decided to do after reading this book is really to sit down and drop what is enough for me, right? Um, so for me, it's creating a level of freedom. Um, so I'm able to work, travel and do whatever I want to do with my time. And then also leaving wealth for my children so that they can start with a head start. So I've jotted down those numbers. And when I reach that goal, it's not a situation where I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm just going to relax. Everything's over. But I'll stop sort of chasing so aggressively, right? I'll say enough is enough. And now I can enjoy life a little bit more. Um, the third takeaway is around the appreciation um, and the beauty of compounding. Now, I love compounding. A lot of people say compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. Now, what is compounding? Compounding is when you have a large number, whatever it can be, and it increases over and over again by a percentage. So the way to think about this is imagine you had 100K and that goes up by 10% each year. The first year you get a 10% um, growth, so 10K, that will make it 110K. The next year you'll get around um, 11K, that will now make your, your money to 121K. The next year that will go up by um, 12K, so that will make you hit around 132 or 33K. Now, they ha there's a rule called the rule of 72. So if you have a 10% um, return, you can most likely um, double that in around seven years. So the reason why this is beautiful is the book talks about Warren Buffett, right? Everyone knows Warren Buffett for his, <laughs> his large net worth and how successful he's been when it comes to investing. Now, he started really young, made his first million when he was 30, and, and he's just kept investing, right? He's now 91 years old. And there's been a calculation to say 99.9% .9 of his net worth is a result of just compounding. So just building interest on his investments. Now, the book talks about uh, an interesting title of Warren Buffett's success. And it's, this guy has been investing for three quarters of a century, right? That's his success, consistency and just compounding, right? But that doesn't sound sexy. <laughs> Most people won't pick up that book because it's so simple um, and unattractive. But that is what true wealth and growing your wealth is, is consistency and compounding. Now, um, the next thing that the, or next takeaway that the book has is save as much as you can. Now, again, this doesn't sound sexy, right? Everyone wants to make a lot of money. You want to be able to buy nice things. But the book really encourages you to save. Even when you don't have a goal, get into the habit of saving and increasing your saving rates. Now, it comes up with a calculation which says savings is income minus ego. Now, I know most people are used to income minus expense, but it replaces expense with ego. And when looking at that, I can, I can actually relate to it right? Because yes, you have a bare minimum amount of expense. You need somewhere to live. You need food. But 
as we start to earn more money, we start to have the lifestyle lifestyle creep where we start to increase our expense and it's, hey, let me get a fancier car. Let me get a bigger house. And all of that is really just our ego. And it's how do we control our ego and increase our savings rate? Now, a great example of this is um, beginning of the year, my boiler went, right? I didn't plan it. I wasn't expecting it. But fortunately, because I have the savings and I've just been saving and I've got um, uh, money just sitting in cash, I'm able to afford to replace that boiler. So I could really relate to that. Save as much as possible, even when you don't have something specific to save for. Because let's say, for example, I hadn't saved for or just had cash lying around. What would most likely have happened is I would have had to sell some stocks, which then what I'm doing is interrupting my compounding. And the importance about compounding is just leaving it alone, letting it just grow year over year. Now, another important thing that the book talks about is focus on not screwing up. (laughs) And I find this is really important in this age that we live in with a lot of volatile investments, a lot of sort of crypto investments, Dogecoin, whatever you want to call it. Now, there's a there's a tendency to hear about people becoming successful in all these different crypto coins and wanting to get involved. But a lot of times we don't cover the horror stories, people that have lost everything, trying to invest in the next hot thing, next um, big return. And I think about, that, about this like monopoly, right? is you have to protect your money, not be afraid to invest, but protect it in such a way that you don't screw up and lose everything. So if you do want to make a speculative bet um, or investment, not to put everything in it because you can't afford to screw up. Because again, the beauty of compounding is having money there for a particular long period of time so that it can continue to grow. But if you lose everything, Like Monopoly, you have to start from zero or you might not be able to play again. Now, the final takeaway that I want to discuss is use money to buy freedom. And the reason why I love this is because I believe that that's the, the goal of life. The goal of investment is not to just have lots of money for the sake of it, to just spend and splash. For me personally, you start to get the value from money, the greatest value from money, when you have the ability to control your time. So when you're able to buy freedom, when you're able to decide, okay, today I don't want to go to work. I want to spend more time with my family. I want to decide to go abroad with my family. Um, I want to be able to spend more time um, doing the things in which I enjoy. That is truly the value of money is buying freedom versus, in my mind, buying nice things. So those were the key takeaways that I got from the book. Just to wrap up, I'm just going to summarize sort of those key takeaways that I got from the psychology of money. First, don't underestimate the importance of luck. Control what you can control, but don't worry about the rest. You're neither smart nor dumb when it comes to a lot of your returns. So always leave room for luck. The next is when is enough? 
try to avoid the social comparison because all that's going to do is continuously make you move your goals and make you do more risky things to try to gain money or some level of success. Third, appreciate the beauty of compounding. And more importantly, don't touch it or disturb it, right? Um, when it comes to compounding, the best thing to do is find a, a good investment that has a predictable, somewhat predictable amount of return. For example, the stock market, where historically it's gone up annually um, around 10%. Um, and just decide to invest there. The fourth thing, save as much as you can, even when you don't have anything specifically to save for. And then lastly, use your money to buy freedom. That should be the goal. The goal is to acquire money, not just to keep or just to buy fancy things, but to buy your freedom. So I hope you've enjoyed this takeaway episode. You can find more information on our Instagram, Take Flight Podcast. Or you can follow my journey on Olu underscore Okanola. And don't forget to subscribe and take care and take flight. Take off, take